Welcome to Under the Rug at Work, where I shine light on problems that are normally swept under the rug. Today, I'm chatting with AJ about how the fish rots from the head. AJ is an executive coach, the creator of the 10 degree shift and the custodian of the Valley of Joy. Thanks so much for joining me, AJ. Hello, Nicole. Always great. Always a pleasure to chat to you. So what does it mean for the fish to rot from the head in business? So the fish rots from the head is a saying, a quote that many people might have heard before. You know, it's quite common. It's talked about in all sorts of circles, not just business. But essentially, it means that whatever's going on on the top of an organisation, so in the leadership, the executive, the ownership, whatever that might be, that that actually bleeds and permeates through all of the organisation. So in a way, when you're thinking about it in terms of culture, it means that leadership are often the cause of the culture, Mm -hmm. but they're also the solution. So if a leader accepts people blaming other people in the organisation for something, then it means they're accepting and condoning a blame culture. And if they want to fix that, it's up to them as leaders to look at how do we address that. Mm. So leaders are the ones that enable toxic cultures. If we see any challenges, any problems, any flaws in a culture, it's because the fish has rotted from the head. Mm. And so the ownership clearly lies with leaders. That's my interpretation of the fish rots from the head. Yeah. And you see that in workplaces all the time. I mean, when you say that, I think back to some of the cultures and some of the workplaces I've been in and leaders really lead the way in a positive or negative way. And some of the worst cultures I've been in have had either the CEO be one of the biggest um, perpetrators of things like bullying and harassment to their team, which then permeated down because that behaviour was either acceptable or people were then stressed out and pushing that kind of stuff down. So lots of examples came to my head, so I can definitely um, agree with that. But do you think they're aware that they're doing it or just kind of caught up in the day-to-day? So I often kind of think of it that the leaders are responsible for setting the tone in the culture. So they're responsible for creating a safe environment that's psychologically safe, that's physically safe, that people can come and show up at work. That's a leader's responsibility. That's different to a manager or a middle manager where they're responsible for the day-to-day performance, where they're responsible for coaching and supporting their staff, where they're responsible for making sure the number of widgets get built that are meant to get built and responsible for making sure that people's payroll's in on time and that we're doing what we're meant to do. So I kind of see managers responsible for kind of that that day-to-day productivity performance, but leaders above that are responsible for the whole environment and the culture. So sometimes I think they may turn a blind eye. They may be ill-equipped to deal with a culture that's going south or going pear-shaped, but the reality is it's a leader's job to be kind of taking a litmus test often enough of a culture and to notice red flags. Mm. And so that's where it can be a little bit uncomfortable because it is a leader's responsibility to go, I'm noticing red flags or I'm seeing some behaviour that's not the norm or not what we espouse to or something that goes against the grain of our values. It's up to them to then address it. And they might do some of that with middle managers joining them. 
but it's not the middle manager's responsibility to have that helicopter view. Mm -hmm. So yeah, some leaders might be ignorant to it, but if they're doing what they're meant to do, then they shouldn't be. They should be seeing signs and beginning to address them. Yeah. And we get into this busy culture and we're busy doing work and busy in meetings and too busy to look at the red flags. Um, What are some of the red flags that people should be looking for at those levels that may may show that um, there are issues? Well, often red flags are gossip. Often, you know, you might start to hear little squeaky wheels. It can also often be burnout or presenteeism. It can be absenteeism. It can be starting to notice that a lot of people are sick or a lot of people taking time out. It can be little kind of cues as well, like when we get on a Zoom or a Teams chat together, most people have their cameras off, which tells you there's not that transparency or, you know, people are starting to shut themselves down, those sorts of things. It could be just um, starting to see some things that may be unethical. Mm. It could be, have we checked that people aren't just hiring consultants who are their friends or mates or, you know, it's all sorts of things that can be red flags that start to show, but it often just starts with the little things, even the language people use, you know, the busyness language or are people talking about being overwhelmed? Um you know, are people starting to say there's not enough days in the week and all of those sorts of things might be signs that there's something worth looking at for a leader. Yeah. Yeah. And as you rightly say, one of their major roles is creating psychological psychological safety um, so that their team can perform at the best that they can be. And if you have psychological safety, then you've got that trust, you've got that engagement, you've got people turning on their camera, even if they're not feeling 100% or don't have their makeup on or, um, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of the reasons why people turn their camera off. Um, but I find... a one of the key things that's missing is we tell leaders to cre- create a psychologically safe work environment, but the how is often missing. Um, can you provide some tips on how they can do that? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I might share three little ways that leaders can start making sure that the fish is flourishing from the head rather than rotting. And so um, number one is taking ownership. Number two is to talk more transparently. And number three is to actually execute change. So let's kind of pull those apart if, and, and feel free to chat as we go. So number one, take ownership. It's really, really crucial that leaders don't blame others. So even though that thing might be happening on the front line at customer service or there's a sales team and there's issues showing there, the responsibility for the culture lies with the leaders. And so not blaming other people is the very first step. They have to take ownership and accountability and responsibility. They need to start going, what will I do about it? They need to put their own investigation in place. They need to start asking questions. So number one, I think for a leader is don't shy away from it. You have to take ownership of it. And it's far better to do that when it's a teeny tiny red flag to when it's a big, you know, I guess a fine or a court case. Yeah. or an unfair dismissal or something else like that that ends up in court. Yeah. Secondly, is they need to talk transparently. And I think we need that more than ever before. And since COVID, since the way the world's gone, um, just the nature of social media 
and how much we're online these days, transparency is bigger than ever before. And so I think we have to say we have a problem. Mm. Let's sort it out. So for a leader, if there is a culture issue, naming it, starting to talk about it. So not sweeping it under the rug, as you would say, not having unspokens where, you know, leaders maybe talk about something in a board meeting or in their exec meeting. And then they're like, this can't be mentioned out with staff, you know, and it becomes something that they're quietly doing. Unless, of course, there's a privacy issue or confidentiality for some reason. Otherwise, leaders should say, we feel like we have a problem here and we want to address it. And here's some of the ways we're going to, or even if they don't know that they start actively talking to staff. But, you know, so firstly, not blaming because blame is contagious. As mm. soon as the leader is seen to blame others, even if that's just a little thing like, oh, it's IT's fault. Oh, HR didn't do this. When you hear a leader from a department blaming another, people think that that's okay and it starts a contagion. And um, there yeah. any value at all. Like, what's the point? It, it just exactly. causes that negative spiral and you want people focusing on solutions. So focusing on the, the, the blame and the problem just doesn't add any value, yeah. Exactly. So taking ownership, talking transparently, being transparent, even if, say, something's going on and I can't be completely um, telling people what it is yet or it's still being nutted out, fine. Mm -hmm. Say to your staff, we'll be able to tell you more in a month tell them that don't just keep it you know at the exact level or hidden um, and then thirdly is to execute change to actually do something about it you know all too often we hear about staff opinion surveys we hear about all different things that are done wellness you know criteria and then staff go yep heard it all before but I'm not seeing any action so execute execute they have to actually make the actions tangible so not just think about I've got some big policy or, you know, we've designed this intervention and it's so fancy with all the bells and whistles. It just needs to be something that people can see, hear, feel, know, touch. Mm. They need to tangibly be able to say that the leader's standing behind their word. So it's crucial for a leader to say that if they want organisational transformation, they have to begin with it personally leader has to work on themselves first and go, well, where am I not being transparent with everyone? You know, where am I maybe doing some of that blame stuff? Where am I not making change easy to follow? Yeah. And that can be uncomfortable. I remember when I first started um, in leadership and you think, oh gosh, is there something wrong with me? And you go insular, but once you start learning more about yourself and how to grow and improve, the impact that that has on your team is amazing. And they start to do that as well, because as you said, uh, it comes from the top. So if you're doing that and your team's doing that, it's only a win-win. So yeah, um, I, I think you were one of the first leaders that helped show that for me. So I appreciate that. And I've had your, you know, mentoring and coaching throughout the years as well. And um yeah, you are a real leader in the area and helping a lot of organisations really shift the culture. So um, thank you for doing that because it, do, it does have that ripple effect. I, I, I mean, I always say this is my life. You know, I've loved leadership as a thing since I was in my early 20s and I actually had leadership modelled for me really well. I worked in a large tertiary level hospital and we had a general manager there 
that really managed not only the macro, but the micro and was fantastic. And so I had it modeled for me early on and knew I want to be a leader that's worth following, just like that man that I worked for was. Um, but quite often for us as leaders, we have little subconscious narratives going on that can be a blocker as well. So even though I'm saying take ownership and responsibility, talk about it, all of that, for many of us, especially if we're new, say, to it or in a new organisation and those sorts of things, we often have first-time fears. We often have imposter syndrome. And the biggest thing that most leaders say to me is that they dread difficult conversations. And so sometimes our own little barriers are the things that are getting in the way of us leading well, even if our intentions were great. Um, some of those narratives and those um, beliefs about ourselves can hold us back. Yeah. But I think if if you remember as a leader that you're the one who sets the standards, so long as you remember that you set the standards, you define the culture and that you're the creator of the culture, you just have to look around you and go, am I seeing what I expect to see or what I want to see? And if I'm not, what do I need to shift and change? Yeah. And no one likes the tough stuff, but as a leader, it's part of your job. It's part of the reason that we often get paid more <laughs> in those roles um, because you have to do the things that no one else wants to do. Uh, and again, it's catching it early um, and knowing how to do that. And you help with a lot of those tools on the how, um, and you have a leadership culture club group uh, that helps people with that. Now, do you want to chat a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I have a, a you know, a private group kind of thing that anyone can join for free um, on Facebook and it's um, the leadership culture club. And it really is about starting to bring to light some of these challenges and to have frank conversations about I'm really struggling I've got an employee I don't know how to have this challenging conversation or um, I'm really not managing my time well like I'm continually feeling in overwhelm and lots of people often feel that as they move forward in leadership because suddenly I've got all these responsibilities organizationally but I've also got all these people who are relying on me and so a lot of managers and leaders are like help like the time mastery I had when I was you know a bit lower down the ranks it just is not working anymore and so we have conversations like that we do trainings around that we do a monthly live training call um, where everyone can just hop on live and where we will thrash out topics like that where we might talk about what are you measuring how do you measure what matters how do you nurture top talent what are some of the ways to minimize nerves mm -hmm. so a lot of Leaders will say, you know, I know my stuff, but when I have to get up and present in front of a board or even a group of peers, like I have these nerves and I start feeling like that imposter again. So um, the Leadership Culture Club is a safe space for leaders to go, I don't have all the answers um, and their staff aren't in there with them, right? And they can talk to other peers and let other peers also go, here's how I built my team's trust or, you know, this is what I did if, um, you know, I had to have a conflict situation and, and resolve that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, people are welcome to join that. They can just drop me a, a message on LinkedIn or Facebook or something. Yeah, and I'll link to that in the notes as well right. so that people can access that easily. But uh, you used the perfect word. I was just about to say it as well. It's a safe space 
for leaders to be able to be human as we all are, um, but to have those open conversations and not feel the fear of being judged by their manager or their team. Um, So I think it's a great group. Well done. Yeah. And I know I run out of that a six-week program that's a launch pad for leaders who are first time or maybe returning. I've had a lot of people maybe that have been on maternity leave and they're returning to work. Or I was a manager years ago. I've been in a specialist or technical role or something different and I'm being a leader again. And so that six weeks is to help people get up to speed with leadership because quite often you are just thrown into it. You know, sometimes you get a promotion and you think, oh, goody. And then you think, oh, no, <laughs> what are we going to do with these people now? And and the expectation of all of that. So, again, some of it is that, you know, self-talk that we sometimes have, that subconscious narrative. And so we feel better about that when we have tools. And yeah. so a lot of that launch pad is really just about what are some of the tools that are going to support you in your day-to-day leadership. Yeah. yeah. And we often aren't given that. Um we are often just, well, you're here now. Now you're leading people. Go do it. <laughs> yeah. And I actually was talking to someone recently in a large manufacturing kind of industry, and it was a supervisor that had actually been demoted and kind of put back at a lower level. And um, there was some other culture stuff going on, which is why I was there. But when we really unpacked and talked to that leader and manager, he had failed in their eyes in the supervisory role, but he'd been given no support. And he'd been a peer with these people. He'd been their mate and suddenly was turned into their boss and they didn't make it easy for him, shall we say. Um, But he just wasn't given any support. And then they found when they moved him back out that the work was just falling over. Mm. Um, And so they realised he had been doing something, but, you know, maybe not to the standard they wanted. But you can't just expect people to step straight into that. You have to equip them. And that's why if you are a more senior leader, you know, your role as a leader as well is to coach, mentor and invest in your people. And so that means giving clear direction. That means leading them and showing them the way, not just throwing them a title and saying sink or swim. Yeah. Figure it out even though you haven't had the responsibility before we now expect it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So I think that the fish rots from the head when we, forget what kind of leadership we want to follow, you know, be the leader your team would want to follow and that they deserve, that they deserve. And especially now we're in such a globally competitive marketplace for talent. There are so many organisations now that are able to attract and retain talent because people can work from home or work from anywhere. A lot more, not every industry, but a lot more. So we are really competing for that talent. So don't just have a website that says our company is great and we've got a great culture if that's not the case. So take that ownership, talk transparently and and execute on doing things that really do turn that around. Yeah. And just to wrap it up, you really do live and breathe leadership and culture and you're actually co-hosting a summit at the end of July. Did you want to share just a little bit about that? Yeah, we're so excited about the the summit and it is called Culture is the Strategy because I think lots of people hear that old adage of culture eats strategy for breakfast and we're like, culture is actually the strategy. Like you do not get anything done in a business without doing that through people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if you have a lot of automation, even if you're using AI and chat GPT and whatever else you're using, you're still doing that through people and using um, people as a collective and their wisdom. And a culture is just, after all, the collective of all of the relationships that are in an organisation. So the summit is exciting. It's on the 28th of July. It's going to be in the Hunter Valley, which is in New South Wales, Australia. Um, And I believe as of this morning, we had nine tickets left. So if you're keen and you hear this before, then you might want to jump online um, and check out the summit. And I'm sure, Nicole, you can pop some links below. But what that will be doing is showcasing lots of people that are two or three years into their culture journey. So people that identified either the fish was rotting from the head or there was some issues in their culture and they went, we need to turn that around. Mm-hmm. And these are organisations that are like banking, um, a primary healthcare providers, uh, a manufacturing firm, a whole variety of different industries. Because often people will say that's easy for that kind of industry, but it wouldn't work in ours. So what we're showing is a whole breadth of different industries where the leaders have really taken that ownership and responsibility and where they've strategically worked through improving their cultures and where they've begun to go, these are the behaviours that we accept and I will not step over that if it's not up to that standard. And um, they'll be sharing some of their challenges as well. I know there's an uh, education organisation and the CEO um, leader there has had to really do a lot of inner work on himself. He had to really address his own leadership style as well as that of his executive. And, um, you know, a primary healthcare producer that's done a whole heap of transformation and actually saw some of their leaders and execs leave because Mm -hmm. they went, this is, you know, a really high standard and it's not comfortable fit. So Mm -hmm. we're going to hear about what were the creaks and groans (laughs) as well as what have been their wins and successes and how do they maintain it once they've gotten to a point where their culture is going really well. Um, and these are people who have been testing and measuring that. Mm-hmm. So we'll be able to really show some facts and hard data um, because often people think culture is just soft skills, leadership soft skills. Well, it's a blend of both. And um, so we're going to be hearing from people who really can show measurable results that are beginning to really translate to their bottom line as well. So, yeah, we're super excited. Um the summit's being run by myself and some of my peers, Michelle and Jenny. So we're really excited to be bringing to the stage clients and people that we know um, have really been doing the hard work. Yeah. It's a jam-packed event um, face-to-face as well. And I'm really excited about attending. So that one's on the 28th of July. Um, yeah, really looking forward to networking and seeing people face-to-face. Um, so thank you, thanks for hosting. <laughs> Yeah, pleasure. Can't wait to see you there. Um, And thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, AJ. I really appreciate your time and your insights. My pleasure. And please don't hesitate. Anyone who's listening, tuned in or watching later, reach out. You know, I'm AJ Alexandra Joy on LinkedIn and on Facebook. Um, So, yeah, Nick might even pop my website below. Always open for a chat. But best place to find me is in that leadership um, Facebook group. That would be great. Fantastic. Thanks, Ojo. Thank you.